Hello. Hey, John. How are you? Well, hello there, Dan Benjamin. Everything going uh, good up there in Seattle? Uh, yeah, still recording only in my left ear, but that's my problem, not Seattle's problem. I mean, you could grab, you know, the adapter maybe in between the shows. Yeah, well, you know, as is true of so many things, I'm waiting for the adapter to find me. Oh, right. Like your passport did. I mean, there's precedent for that. That's right. That's right. Things do find you eventually. And uh, so that's what I'm hoping. We'll yeah. happen. I'll and open a it, box. It'll just be there. It'll be there. I'll open a box. It'll be there. I'll go, ah, there it is. Now, how much credit do you give in a case like that to your your subconscious? In other words, you want this consciously, and eventually that creeps into your subconscious state, your subconscious mind. And then without knowing consciously what you're doing, subconsciously you'll be directed to need something or look for something or stumble across something. In other words, it's still you doing it. You just don't know you're doing it. Kind I of like see. autonomous heartbeat breathing, like that kind of thing. I see. Um, you know, like subconscious John <clears throat> will direct conscious John to do something without him knowing it. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I don't think about that very much or at all. Maybe that's because subconscious John doesn't want you to. Yeah, I'm, I don't have about that. I don't have a. I don't have a very. Uh, explicit relationship with subconscious John. It, I don't acknowledge that there is a subconscious John. There is. This is different from from John. future John and present John. Yeah, because right. those are both those are both very conscious Johns. Right. Past John is is there, laughing, uh, not laughing, but certainly like aware of what he's done to future John and present John. But subconscious John, a John that's operating at another at another level, vibrating, you know, in like a an id. Right. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't acknowledge the existence of of such a thing. It always seems when I find a thing. Oh no! Wait, is it that you don't acknowledge it, or you don't believe in it, or you just don't want to see it? Well, like God, I cannot say I don't believe in it uh-huh. because I don't see any evidence of it. I can only say that I don't see any evidence of it. But to say that that means I don't believe in it, I never make that leap. I never make that leap because, um, I don't know, belief, belief it's a it's one of those words where we say it all the time but if you it's it's also a word that if you say it four or five times you get that ted lasso problem where it just turns into a gibberish word belief belief but also like what exactly is belief i'm not sure that i have very much belief it doesn't play as large a role in my life as other things do you make a distinction between faith and belief well, what do I have faith in? Like that's a whole uh, I think a deeper question. But but <clears throat> belief, what do I believe? I believe the children are our future, but beyond that, <laughs> belief. I'm not sure that that my relationship to ideas is one where belief plays a very large role. And faith 
I can't say that I have that faith does either. I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm, I'm much more apt to look for patterns that sustain themselves. And so I'll, I'll rely on the idea that if this has happened 15 times, it's probably going to happen a 16th, but that's, I don't think either faith or belief, it's just pattern recognition. And what else? I mean, what, how, what, what, there are things in my life that fill the, fill the faith belief areas. Um, but I'm always ready for, I'm always ready to be surprised. And when I am surprised, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm surprised. You know, like when something breaks a pattern, I'm always waiting for that. Seems like it's every pattern's going to come apart at at some point. Um, so I kind of just I just stay in that state, and I think a lot of it has to do with although I future fuck myself, and although I I. Uh, both luxuriate and languish in my past. The 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 area of time right around me, by which I mean the next hour, the next day, um, the next month, uh, and sort of you know the last hour, the last day, the last month. This little bubble around me, I. I live in it very, um, very presently. I'm not, I do not look forward an hour from now and have any dread or any expectation even. I can, you know, I can say, after I get off the phone with Dan, I'm going to go keep sorting through these boxes of books. But I don't have any particular feeling about it, and I don't, if it gets interrupted, I have no, I, I wasn't invested in it. And God, that seems true of almost everything. I, I make very little investment in my own plans. So if an hour from now it turns out nothing I thought was going, nothing I, about today turned out how I imagined it would, I don't. I just bounce off of it. I don't have any. I'm like a turtle in that way. Like the wave moves me off of the mossy rock and I just go to the next mossy rock. And that seems that seems like a contradiction, right? Because I'm so consumed by the past, my past, other people's past, historical past. Like I I churn on it. And I think a lot about the distant future and the and you know, and I do have a relationship with my future self uh, a day or two or four away, but it doesn't involve plans. It involves this kind of mocking relationship like, oh, I bet you'd like me to clean the bathroom, wouldn't you, future self of tomorrow? Well, here's another rude awakening for you, my friend. Um, <laughs> so, but it seems contradictory that I would also be extremely like always kind of in the moment um but not in the moment in like a woo way or 
or in that weird quantum woo way. Like I'm not woo. And I don't feel like I'm in the moment in a yoga sense or an Eastern religion sense. I'm just sort of, I just sort of bounce off of the, I feel like I'm in a bouncy house of the world and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I have the attention span of a dog, mm-hmm. which, which is something we've talked about quite a bit, like yeah. attention span. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I don't really have an attention span. I mean, the span is, you can see it from here to there. It's as long as my arm. And so that, I guess, doesn't, uh, to have a very short attention span does not comport with like being invested in your plans because Jesus, who can see their, who can see their plans, you know? Well, I guess so. In a way, what you're kind of saying is that because you have zero investment in the in the plan, that if the plan is canceled or changes or something happens, then it's not really that big of a deal to you. It's just mm-hmm. okay. Well, the plan the plan didn't happen. You had nothing invested. Nothing is lost. Right. Is that right. sort of the key? Do you think to why you don't plan because losing losing a plan hurts and it's easier to sort of avoid. Well, I just don't have a plan. Therefore I'm never like, I never have any expectations. So I'm never disappointed. Well, I'm always disappointed, (laughs) but, but, um, no, I just think that when I sit down to, to make a plan, I don't, I get, I get distracted before it's through. You know, I, I mean, I put the first thing down. Okay. Today I'm going to sort these books you know, after I get off the phone with Dan, I'm going to go sort some books. Mm-hmm. But if I get off the phone with you and remember that that was my plan, I will. But if I get off the phone with you and forget that that was my plan, if it turns out that I sit, you know, I pick on my way to go sort the books, I see a book that yesterday I sorted about the, you know, the fighter aircraft of the Cold War, and I pick it up and start looking at it and forget all about um, sorting the books. So if I wrote a plan down, mm-hmm. first of all, I think I would get bored after writing down the third step. Also, I don't have any sense of scale in plans. You know, like the the first item is always facilitate world peace, and then the second right, one is sure. go down and, and sort books. But also... I would I would write down a list and then I would forget the list. Hmm. And I'm not forgetful in the sense of like you said you were gonna and you didn't. Um, you know, I, I don't I'm not like a I'm not a, a, I don't have dementia and I'm not a Mr. Magoo. I just don't see I just don't see plans. Hmm. And 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 I know Plans cause a lot of people just a lot of people have so much anxiety about the future. So much there's so much worry. They wake up in the morning and they're already stressed about the day. Um, and my, you know my my psychic pain is all um, it's all expectations based, and most of those expectations are inward inwardly directed. I don't really have any expectations of my day or 
you know, vague expectations of other people. Like I expect that they would be nice and not be mean. Right. I expect that they would behave rationally. That's a, that's a major expectation. I expect that people will behave rationally. And when they don't, I'm always thrown off. And, and that causes me a lot of, a lot of trouble because I'm, because it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to blow people off. Even, even casual encounters. It's hard for me to just, ugh, whatever, that guy's a dumbass. You know, it's, it's hard for me to do that. I always want to go back and sort it out and figure out what was going on. Figure out why they, figure out in what way they felt that they were behaving rationally. Because I, I, I make that assumption. Everybody thinks they're being rational. Do you think so? Is that, do you believe, do you actually believe that? Like deeply? Because I don't, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's true. I, I don't know if people are, and when I say people, I'm talking like, just like the, the masses. Not our listeners, not us. No, 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 no. No. The most rational of audiences. Right. I mean, we're speaking to a very exclusive group here. Um, But I'm talking about like regulars, regular people. I just have, I just feel like maybe they're not, it's not that they're not rational or they don't think that they're rational. I don't even think that they think about it. Yeah. I I don't even think I think if you were to poll people that that's not even something that's on their mind like ever. And I think that that's evidenced just by the way that most people act. Like for example, something we've talked about a lot is driving. Um I drive all the time. My goal, I mean you we, in the last episode I if I'm remembering right, you were saying how your mother and your sister are both excited and eager to engage in short trips. They want to drive and they don't mind if, oh, you, you, know, you forgot this thing at the store. I'll go back and get it. I'll drive right back out and go get it. Right. And you were saying kind of your vibe is more longer trips. You enjoy uh, like a road trip, being on the road for a longer period of time. And, and for me, if I'm doing a short drive somewhere, if I'm doing a short trip somewhere, I very much want to get there. I'm not enjoying, it's not that I'm unhappy doing the drive or that I want, have to have the drive over. It's just, my goal is to be where I'm going. Not, it's the destination, not the journey for a short trip. I just, if I need to get to Target to buy something, I want to get to Target and buy the thing. I don't really want to go to Target at all, really. I'm going because I need to get this thing. And so the sooner that it's over, the better, kind of. Like, I just want to get there. And it seems like a lot of the time when I'm driving, other people don't have that mindset that they're actually out for the drive. They're in, they're doing the drive and maybe they're happier, like in a, on a deep level because they're more mindful. They're more in the moment. Like I get all that. And it's not like I'm sitting there like infuriated that I have to drive. But if you told me that I could do a five minute drive instead of a 15 minute drive, I'm going to say yes every single time. Um, and, and if you said I didn't have to do a drive at all, that I could just be at the place, then I would definitely do that. And and if it's an errand and not a place I want to go to, but just an errand, 
then I don't even want to do the errand, t- generally speaking. Nothing you would good. just rather have it be done or the thing be in your hand. Right. Oh, we're out of milk. I don't want to go to this. I don't. Well, okay. Now I got to write this down on a list. I got to remember to take the list. You got to go to the store. So that means like get ready to go, which is fine. I'm generally ready anyway, but like get ready to go, get in the vehicle, drive over there, walk in, get the thing, get 50 other things you didn't think you needed, pay for them, leave. And it's not like it's fun to go out anymore. Like COVID makes everything horrible. It's not like you can like go and have like a fun time interacting with people. No one wants to see you. No one wants to be where they are. There's a plastic shield in front of everything. And so like, it's not like fun to go and do that. So yeah, I'd rather just, I'd rather the milk be in the fridge already. I don't even want to have to know that I'm running low on it. I just want the new one to be there. And I don't, I don't have to think about that. That's very different from like, I'm going to get together with a friend to go do an activity or just to hang out or to have some great food somewhere or see a show or a movie or like that's, I'm not talking about that stuff. Like that's social interaction and that's being with people or that's, or, you know, if fine, you want to do the nature thing, like going on a hike. I love to do that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. whether I'm with people or on my own. It's something I really enjoy doing. I like doing that. Yeah. The nature thing, the nature thing, or, you know, going to a, a gym to work mm-hmm. out. Like that's fine too. All of those are good things. So let's say that I'm going, let's say I'm going to go on a hike and I have to drive a little ways to get to the place where I'm going to go do the hike. When I'm on the hike, I'm not like, I just want this to be over with. I'm like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm here for this hike now, however long we're doing it for. Right. But on the way to and from the hike, like, that's not the fun part. The hike is the fun part. So, like, driving in the car to get to the place where you have to hike, that's just like, that's the extra step that would, wouldn't it be cool if we could just be on the hike now? Like, when I would just be on the hike. And that's the thing. Like, when I think about it, I don't think that people are kind of circling back. People are driving around. I don't think that they're thinking, I just want to get where I'm going. They're like, in car now, driving mm-hmm. car now. Mm-hmm. I don't think they think past that. Like, mm-hmm. really, like, if you were to hit hit the, the pause of the universe button and then, like, get out of your vehicle, walk over to the other person's vehicle, hop in with them, unfreeze just the two of y'all, and say, what's on your mind right now? They would say, Driving vehicle to destination. Like, that's it. That's a music is on. They're listening to podcast or looking at TikTok. Like, that's all that they're really doing. I don't think that they're even thinking. You're giving the general, not our listeners, but the general masses. I think you're giving them too much credit. You're giving them too much agency over their lives, even. Well, what's interesting you know, my, my relationship to all that stuff is as soon as I walk out the door, it is like I put a quarter in the game of Frogger <laughs> and my little, <laughs> you know, player one uh-huh. walks out the door and everything that player one encounters is just Frogger. I'm just going from log to alligator, you know, and so it's and it's because I have such a. Um, such a a constant rap going on with my inner voice. Mm. I'm just, you know, I'm everything I'm doing is like the stuff that you're doing when you're on a phone call and you're, you're tapping a pencil or you're, you're doodling. Yeah. I mean, all my activities outside of the house are just doodles because what I'm doing is, is carrying on a lengthy, uh, dialogue with, 
myself. And it's, and so it's why I used to go on very long walks before I had a car because I would get out and I would just be, it's just an obstacle course right? in the world. I think what I meant by people think they're behaving rationally is that if you ask people if they have like a system for their activities and their thoughts. Well, if you ask them if they behave, if they did right today, if mm. they are right, if you ask people if they are right, they are go- most of them are going to say they're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you did did you behave morally today? They're going to say yes. <laughs> yes. I behaved morally. <laughs> right. Sure. You know, were you correct in in your assumptions in your opinions? Yes, I was correct. Like no one, very few people. I mean, every once in a while you have an exchange with somebody or you talk to somebody where they, where they, they say, I'm just being crazy today. Like mm-hmm. I just can't get my thoughts in order. I'm just out of, oh, yeah. I'm out of control. Sure. But most, most snorks. And, and so, and so if you take two people who have behaved completely opposite today, you know, one, one Texan is protesting for abortion rights in front of a in front of the Capitol, and the and the other Texan is getting ready to sue somebody because they had an abortion. Right. And you ask them both, "Did you do right today?" Mm-hmm. They're both going to say yes. Yeah. Did, were you moral right. today? I was moral. Sure. And I, and I don't think it's just that. That in in a world of opinions, um, you know everybody everybody gets to be right. You know, I think that there is. There's um, that that this is a pathology, hmm. you know. That dealing with human beings, there's there's some kind of um, there's some kind of evolutionary advantage to think that you're right, yeah, and not go out every day like of like a small minority of us do and question every decision. Mm-hmm. But the problem, you know, globally is that everybody thinks they're right, and so you you put a proposal in front of people and this person's got a vast education and years and years of experience and they have an opinion about it. And this person over here has never left their town right. and, and you know, has never read a book for pleasure and they have an opinion and they both think that they're right. And it's mm-hmm. just like, what do we do as a culture Yeah, uh, with that? And so I think my experience in, um, in traveling the world is that everybody I meet, I'm aware of the fact that they don't think they have anything to learn. Very few people do. Very few people get home, I think, and say, boy, I don't know. You know, I think it's, it's not uncommon to get home and say, I'm not sure I did the right thing in that situation. Right. But I think it's not very common that at the end of the day, people review their behavior and come to the conclusion that mm, maybe they could have handled that better. Um, and so, so in, encountering people in the course of the day, I'm, I'm mindful of that, and it makes me then constantly be assessing my own behavior, and not it not in that not in that uncomfortable way where you are never present and you're just, you're talking to somebody and you're like, am I being weird? Do they know that I'm, do they know that I'm stoned right now? (laughs) You know, that, that, um, that feeling of just like, oh my God, you know, I'm an alien here. And, um, it's not that like I'm very comfortable, 
with people, but I'm, <clears throat> I'm listening to them and I'm, and, uh, and then I review, you know, I review the experience and I go, no, what, what, what did they think? What did they, what was their experience of that? And, and what's mine, you know? <clears throat> and so, I, but the, but the thing about it is I don't go into those encounters with a lot of beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so when I encounter other people's opinions and other people's uh, attitudes, mentalities, they don't clash. They don't immediately clash with, um, a, with some suit of armor of belief that I have. Mm-hmm. I kind of have to weigh what they said against what I assume is their experience and and then contrast it with my experience. Right. And I'm always trying to come to the truth rather than use my own belief as a colander that lets the water through and holds the spaghetti back. Right. It's <clears throat> it's interesting. I'm going through these boxes of books, and I have a lot, a lot of boxes of books. My whole basement is filled with boxes of books. And I don't, I don't know what to do because I don't like getting rid of books. But I also recognize that in making this transition to this new house and <clears throat> in making this transition into my 50s, mm-hmm. well, what am I going to bring with me? You know, what, what, what goes in my, my, my backpack? Mm-hmm. I'm keeping a small bag packed, not a shipping container packed. Right. And... I think like a lot of people, I have this <clears throat> this picture in my head of um, Leonard Bernstein sitting at a piano and in the background there he's in his, you know, kind of palatial Upper West Side apartment and the walls are covered with books. Right. And the piano is covered with photographs. And but books, you know, play a large role. Those magazine articles where you walk through somebody's really, you know, um, beautiful Paris apartment and it's books everywhere. Books, yeah. books, books. So I'm going through these boxes of books and in my, <clears throat> in my mind and in my memory, I think back to a time when I read all the time and I kind of remember it as sort of petering out in the two thousands, you know, like in, in, the year two, when I started to tour a lot, 2001, I, I remember, you know, not reading as much. And as I'm unpacking these books, I realize, oh, no, 2001 is when I stopped reading novels. Hmm. Like up until 2001, I read novels like so many novels. My bed would have three novels and I'd be reading all three of them at the same time. And they'd all, you know, you'd pull back my sheets and there'd be three books in there all, you know, all halfway, halfway read, bookmarked somewhere in the middle. But I didn't stop reading in 2001 because as I'm opening these boxes, I'm pulling out these books and I'm going, Wait, I read this book. <clears throat> oh, I read this book. Wait, I read, I've, I've read all these books. When did I read these books? 
And then it's like, oh, I continued to read books until whatever that moment was, that transition where everything became available on your phone. Right. I was going to say like 2007 was the first iPhone. Right. But I didn't get one in 2007. You know, when was I your think first I, one? When did you first get one? Uh, I still had a flip phone. Then I had that little Blackberry Pearl. That yeah, had like I had a that breakout thing game. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I got my first iPhone in 2011, probably. Oh, okay. But, but it took me a long time to find uh, media on it because I didn't subscribe to media. I didn't read long form articles on it. I used it as a texting, a, a email, and then Twitter. But I didn't sit and read long things until <clears throat> until later. 2014 maybe I started when when a lot of stuff went online. Um but opening these boxes it's just like oh shit, you know, like I read all I read all these. And I don't remember being and and a lot of them are nonfiction past 2000, 2000 you know, four or something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. You know, a lot of it then switched over into books about the Reformation or whatever, you know, books about just whatever, like foreign policy. And then there, there were a lot of books. There were there were boxes where there were books that I didn't uh, that I hadn't read, you know the fifteen hundred page biography of Henry Kissinger I just never <laughs> quite got around to. Uh-huh. I never read the Gulag Archipelago even though I I schlepped it around for years. I had a book called Soros on Soros, which was George Soros wrote a book length interview with himself. With himself, yeah. Where he wrote, you know, and and so a lot of, like many, 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 many pages are him asking the most boring esoteric questions of himself because that's what he thinks people want to hear. Right. So what was the variable interest rate when you decided to? (laughs) And he's like, well, interesting, you know, good, interesting question. You know, it's really, there were bonds and then there were more bonds. And you're just like, come on, dude, nobody wants this. So there were there were there were books that I didn't uh, that I hadn't read and I found it easy to easier to get rid of those than than the ones you had read than I had right because yeah. I had an emotional relationship with these ones that I had read you know the hair with the amber eyes am I going to get rid of the hair with the amber eyes well how could I right I I have a relationship with the hair with the amber eyes um, the sadness of lemon cake. Am I going to get rid of the sadness of lemon cake? I have no idea where these books came from, like uh, n- not where they came from, but like how did what was I reading, where I read about the sadness of lemon cake and went and bought it and read it, because I had to have read something. Maybe they were gifts. You know, maybe re- these were just gifts. They were given to okay. you by people. So interesting that you say that because. So one of the things I did opening, uh, going through these boxes is that I would always open the book to see if there was an inscription. Turns out the sadness of lemon cake was given to me by the author. Oh. And she, she wrote, hope you enjoy this book as I enjoy your music. And I don't remember the encounter where there would have been an opportunity to have met her. I mean, I looked her up. 
she looked like a person that I would have met. She, you know, she looked like a familiar person, somebody that I definitely would. She's my, you know, my age or a little younger and type of person that would write a book called The Sadness of Lemon Cake. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there was a lot of that and a surprising number of books where someone had written, I think you're going to like this book. So it was definitely a gift then in that situation. Definitely gifts, right? A lot of those. Or like, this book reminded me of you, or I hope you, re- I hope you read this book and, and like it as much as I did. So a lot of that stuff. Well, I'm never going give, to give those books away. You know, here's a, like, <laughs> there was some book, some really old book uh, that had uh, Van Gogh color plates in it, and the spine was coming apart, and I was like, why don't I have this? You know, and it's not a, it's not a coffee table book. It's like a, the color plates are basically paperback size, although they're beautiful. Yeah. I'm like, why do I have this thing? And I was ready to put it in the, and I opened it up and there was this long, like a, the, the whole, the whole front leaf was this kind of poem that someone had written me, you know, saying like these, you know, these beautiful paintings are like, what I wish for you to live life as abstractly and wow. as fully as, as he did. And this is what I think this, you know, I, I have a these, feeling you could not get rid of that one either. No, the, you know, she's like, these paintings are, are uh, represent to me our journey through life as friends. So, yeah, you're but, not getting rid but, of that ever. No, but at the end of the day, sure, I, you know, I put, I put a dozen boxes in the back of the truck to take to the thrift store. Oh, Henry Kissinger, yeah, Henry autobi- King, you know, Henry King, yeah, and you know, and all these, all these books that are like, oh, Elizabethan England. I'm not as interested in that as I thought I was <laughs> when I got this book. Right. And, you know, I think I was, I read a book, I read a book on the 30 years war and I thought, you know, I need to know more about the, about other things in, in the, in the broader picture. Cause this book's making all, all these references, but it turned out I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to know, that. Mm-hmm. you know, um, I did do that with a lot of things. I mean, that's, I did that with world war one. I've got seven books on world war one. I have an entire library on Yiddish humor. Okay. Because I really wanted to understand Yiddish humor as translated into English. And of course you can't really, you can't really get it translated into English because there are so many illusions and inside jokes and, freaking Hebrew numerology, but you know, but people are trying to do it and they're like, here you go. And, but now what, you know, I've now, now what I've got is 25 open boxes of books and I've thumbed through every one and I have all these relationships and I can't, now I, now I'm not sure what my next move is. I, the the author of the hair with the amber eyes didn't inscribe it to me. I'm very unlikely to read it again. Uh, but it goes on the shelf, and 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 I've always been conscious of the fact that there are there are bookshelves that you have 
because you want somebody to come along and look at them and sort of ask a question or so oh, you read that yeah, yeah and, and in particular you know i i will arrange a bookshelf so that the whole bookshelf tells a story right like i used to have a bookshelf that was just the beat writers but only the obscure beat writers or the mm-hmm. obscure beat books not on the road but you know Big Sur, whatever it was. And they were arranged on this bookshelf sort of vaguely chronologically, but also um, thematically. And it, it wasn't that I thought anybody in the world was going to come along and look at that bookshelf and feel like it was a, that the shelf itself was an act of literary criticism but i was doing it for that person who lives in my head and that person who lives in my head would go by that bookshelf and look at it and go you said it my friend like there like that relationship is one i cultivate right but what the hell am i how many times can i can I do that? Um, or how important is it that I'm entertaining um, one of my inner life friends who's maybe not even a, that great of a friend, you know? But then imagining like, well, you know what? All these go. They all get, you know, get them out of here. Right. And do you do that? The- do you actually say that to yourself? Cause that's, that's my MO is I, I don't start, which one should I get rid of? I start, which one should I ab- Do I absolutely need to keep? Right. Which ones can I tr- absolutely, absolutely under no circumstance can I part with? That's where our, that's kind of my mentality when I go in to get rid of something mm-hmm. is, you know, how bad would I feel if I, if I never saw this again. And that's actually, I was thinking about this because, you know, like it's September one just happened and that's the start of Halloween season, which is my favorite season. (laughs) September 1st is the start of Halloween season. Yes. Are you like this with other holidays or just, I don't acknowledge other holidays. So Halloween is the, is the tentpole holiday for you. And it Mm -hmm. starts the first day of September one. September one. Okay. So, you know, like that's when the different companies that do like cool Halloween stuff, like t-shirts or other things, that's when they kind of start to come out and cool Halloween t-shirts. Okay. You know, or other items, other goods, things like that. And so there was, um, you know, the, just as an example, but like the way that I, a lot of these shirts are going to be like a t-shirt. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a limited time shirt. They're not going to keep offering it. You know, it'll be available now through the end of October. And if you don't get it now, like they won't do it again. It's not going to come out again next year. It's a limited edition kind of thing. Not just shirts, but there's lots of stuff. And of course it's not specific to Halloween. There's tons of stuff like it, but like it, a lot of people be like, Oh, you know, I got to get, I got to get that thing because it's going to go away. And even in a situation like that, where there's artificial, artificially imposed pressure, I will look at it and I will say, how bad will I, would I feel if this was no longer available? How, how bad would I feel if I totally missed this opportunity to get this thing ever? And if, I, if the answer is, I would feel really bad about that, 
uh, then that means I should probably get the thing, whatever it is. But that's kind of how I frame my decision making about like a purchase or whether I should do something or, or whatever. It's like, how bad would I feel? And so the flip of that is when I'm getting rid of stuff, I say, I, I go into it saying, why each one of these things needs to prove its worth to me. Each one of these things has an obligation to show its value to me. And that that value that it displays and shows me has to be greater than the value that someone else would have from getting it for the first time. Mm. So if I've got a book that I've read, that's not like it's, you know, inscribed to me personally, but I've read the book, I've consumed the book and I don't feel that I'm going to do that again. Then I feel almost like, and books are probably a good example I almost feel like obligated to give that to somebody or to donate it or something like that. Because like, I always admired people who read a book, maybe they even, you know, make notes in it and, and stuff like that. And then they put it on their shelf and like later in life, maybe a week, a year, a month, you know, whatever, it's somewhere down the road, they like have the book, it's sitting on their shelf and they go back to it. They like read it again, or they lend it to a friend who comes by and is sitting in their sort of you know, Paris apartment, as you described. Oh, you know, uh, what we're talking about today reminds me of this book. I think you'd really like it. Let me lend it to you. And then when you're reading the book, it, you're seeing their notes in it, the inscription maybe that was given to them, their own thinking process, all of that stuff. And I feel like there's something cool about that. But I have never done that. I've never done that. I read a book and I'm done with the book. I've consumed it. It's had its impact on me in some way. And if somewhere down the road, like in the distant future, future Dan wants to read that book again, like future Dan can go buy it or get it from the library or download it on a Kindle or whatever. And it's weird because like I'm an English major and my aunt ran the FAU library and my mom is an English professor. Uh, like you would think that I would have some kind of special sanctuary in my mind for books and written things, but I feel like I don't. And I often, like, I look at people, I'm super jealous of people who have the amazing, like, books and books and shelves and shelves like you're describing and probably that you have. But then, like, I just never put that together. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know why, but, like, I feel like that's an, like, a book is an experience that you have. And then when the experience is over, like you want to share that with someone else maybe. So you, you give it to them. I don't know. Now I'm wondering if that's the right idea or not. Cause I mean, I've read like hundreds and hundreds of books that were great, but I don't know what they were and I don't have them anymore, but they're, they've worked their way into my, my subconscious. I'm sure. I did start making boxes <clears throat> halfway through. I started making bo gift boxes. Like, oh, you know what? I should make a box of books for that person. Oh, nice. And I made a I made a few boxes of books. And I found that I was making those boxes of books as kind of an I'm not sure how I would feel getting one of those boxes of books if someone had made it for me, because some of it was um what I found myself doing is this person needs to read this book. Or these are not books that this person would choose for themselves. But you you so, kind of want them to be on board with, with it. 
yeah, I want them to have read these books. Right. And uh, they weren't all, they weren't like insults, <laughs> um, but you know, they were, uh, they, a, a lot of them had a character of, you know, where you would look at the books and go, huh, I wouldn't have picked any of these books. And I, you know, and then I would be like, I know. So that, so I kind of hesitate a little bit with, with that impulse. I know there are a lot of books. People write me all the time and they're like, what's the book I should read about World War One? And I've got a, you know, I've got a bunch of books and I, what I should do if I were the type of person like you're saying that put, that went that extra step and put books in envelopes and sent them to people. But I'm not. I'm not that person. I will not do that. If you write me and ask me to send you a book, I won't. Not because I'm greedy or because I don't. It's just I will never get that far down the path. If I get an envelope, I'll never get the stamps. If I get the stamps, I'll never take it to the, actually take it to the mailbox. So somewhere along the line, I stopped pretending that I was going to do that. But I definitely have books that I would say like, oh, this is for you. And I've, and I've often thought about like, put a book of, put a box of books together, take them somewhere put them under a park bench and then tweet, you know, there's a box of books, box of my books under a park bench at this location. Somebody in Seattle, some, some guy with a, with a beard is going to go <laughs> find that box of books. And I don't know what it'll mean to them. Um, my old professor, Jim Klaus, I found a little stack of books that Jim Klaus had. And I think he did this, before he knew he was dying, he put a little book plate in in the front that mm-hmm. looked like a looked like the old, um, you know, card that you would check a book out from the library and write your name. They write your name down and the date. And I have a lot of decommissioned library books that have that stuff. You know, I've, and some of them are super cool. You know, all these people that checked this book out in the nineteen thirties. And it's just fun to kind of think about. I mean, I have a couple of books that are really old. I have a book from 1857, and the book is trashed. Really? And it's kind of an almanac. And I just like the fact that it has traveled from 1857 to here. Um, I have a book that's written in German, and I don't read German. And it's written in Gothic script because it's old enough to have been written in like a sublime tattoo kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's a book of German poetry and I only, I only keep it around because the date it was published puts this book in a kind of, you know, mid 19th century world that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. So imagining this book arriving on the scene, arriving in a bookstore, in, you know, mid late 19th century Berlin Mm. and somebody bought this book, then it just conveys me to Berlin in 1880. And I get to kind of stand there, hold this book and be in Berlin in 1880. Yeah. Which is a thing that I've always wanted, you know, (laughs) if I could time travel and if I could time travel and there was no limit to the number of destinations I could pick, that would be one of the destinations. Um, 
but the this this little stack of books had this book plate from Jim Klaus and he and it was and it was part of um it was part of this this movement and I forget what it was called sunshine something or another sunshine superman Dot com. It wasn't that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wonder what happens if you go to sunshinesuperman.com. Uh, but what, but the goal was, this was the, this is the old fashioned thing where you read a book, you write your name in the, in the, um, you know, on the, on the cover or inside the front cover, and then you leave the book somewhere. And then the next person hopefully looks at that and says, Oh, cool. And they read it and they write their name and, send it on. And we used to do that. That was, that was like a youth hostel thing. You'd go to a youth hostel somewhere in Europe and there'd be a bunch of books, like really, really thrashed books. And you'd open it up and there'd be all these people that had read the book and, and let, you know, picked it up at a youth hostel somewhere, read it, left it at at another youth youth hostel somewhere. And that was cool. That was cool to pick up a book and just be like, oh, my God. And I don't think most of those books survived even a single season, you know, a single year because they just got – they were heavily trafficked. But it was – it was you felt like you're part of a fun game, all these people you would never meet. But so somehow Jim – had this idea he was going through his library and I don't think I don't think he knew he was dying I think he that he was just trying to go go through his own library and go huh a paperback copy of McTeague I don't need it I don't need it and I'm you know and I'm going to I'm going to send it out into the world but the problem was he gave it to me he wrote his name in it gave it to me oh and that starts well, the that starts the chain reaction then yeah and then he wrote he wrote my name in it when he gave it to me as kind of an incitement for me to do something. And then it just stayed, it stayed with me. It's been, it's been, you know, I've stayed with me until it went into, it was on a bookshelf and then it went into a box and I never read it. And I never wrote, or I never then left it somewhere. Do you have those little sidewalk libraries in Austin? Yeah, they're around. Yeah, where you um, where it's like someone has like a little mailbox type situation with a little glass front, and it says like "take a book, donate a book" kind of thing. And yeah, we have those. So I think, especially about in that. like the older the older neighborhoods, have them. Like the new ones don't because no one leaves their houses. <laughs> I I feel like if I put one of those up with books in it, and just like, but don't, but you have a little note that says, "Don't put any books back in. Just take them." Well, the thing is I could I could every week I could populate it and like this week it would be only books about Bismarck or this you know this week you've got <laughs> right sure Henry Kissinger and George Soros and uh you know there's a great book called Witness to a Century uh written by a guy in the 1980s who at the time was in his late 90s and he was he was just one of those journalist characters who had just met everybody you know he met he met lenin when he was 24 he met um he was there he was there right he was there every time but it's a it's a fun kind of hilarious book and um and just neat just neat to think about that one person it's kind of almost like flashman you know Mm. he just happened to be there 
at every um, event, except this was a real guy. And, um, but so I imagine going out and stocking some little library out in front of my house with all these books. And I think they would just sit there forever. Like who's going to come along and go like, wow, I've been wanting to read that, um, onanistic interview, uh, you know, book, book length interview by and, and of George Soros. I mean, maybe I've got a lot of old people in my neighborhood. They might, they might be interested in that stuff, but probably not. You know, you you want to put fun things in those libraries because people are out for a walk and they're like, I've got to carry this book all the way home. Um, SunshineSuperman.com is for sale, by the way. Okay. I mean, and they want, like you need it. And the minimum offer they say is three grand. So what, what do you think Sun, Sunshine Superman is really worth? I mean, it depends, I guess, on what you do with it. If it becomes your personal brand, then I think 3000 is a steal. Yeah. You know? That's how come all these domain squatter people are, um, are, are still making a ton of money, right? There's mm-hmm. like guys our age that are just living off of the domains that they have been squatting <laughs> I mean, on for 25 years. You know, what's funny is back in the, in olden times, I remember, first of all, I remember when domain names were, didn't cost anything. Um, and you just, you, if, if you were a like internet provider, you could just get them. Then I remember when they were a hundred dollars and when they were a hundred dollars, I was sitting there one time, my friend ran an ISP, an internet service provider, a dial up. So, it, it was this was in Orlando and it was called MagicNet <clears throat> because the Orlando Magic, I guess. So it was MagicNet.net was the name of the <laughs> business. And they had a really great policy, John. The policy was if they have a customer who reports that they got a busy signal at any point in time, then they will add five more lines. That was like their thing. So like, oh, you got a busy signal? Five more telephone lines coming in. And they just had this room that was just bank after bank of just dial-up lines and modems and people getting on the internet at 2,600 baht. And at this point in time, like you could just register. You might have had to pay or you might have had to show justification. Or if I remember right, you had to like have a business that matched with the name or something. But Mm. once this kind of opened up, domain names, you could just buy them, but you had to give them proof that you had like an IP address and that you were a provider of some kind. But like I remember debating, like, should I get computers dot com? Like, is that should I get Benjamin dot com? That's a hundred dollars. Computers dot com. Computer dot com. Email dot com. Like all of these were available. All of them were available, and I mean, I tons and tons of them. But at, I mean, at the time, I was probably I don't know twenty two years old, and like a hundred bucks was a shit ton of money. Like I'm not just sure. gonna spend a hundred dollars. Like, that's outrageous. Like, this was still at the point where, like, if I went out with my my girlfriend or whoever, that, you know, you'd be like, well, I'll order the Coke, you get a water, and we'll just share it because there's free refills at the Applebee's. Uh You know, like that, that was the kind of financial decision making I was involved in. So the idea that I would spend $100 on, like, computers.com, like, that's dumb. But years later, I had gotten a, a domain watchdog.net and I sold that thing for like fifteen or $20,000. Domain, uh, it was just watchdog.net. Yeah. 
watchdog, and you sold it for twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, something like it was more than ten. Whatever I sold it for. What do you think computer.com is worth now? Yeah, exactly. Like all of these things that if I had, like I could have gotten email.com or like Whoa. if, you know, like uh, it's crazy all these things that I would. And I, I remember the one day I was there, I was just like, I had a list and I was typing it in. I'm like, oh yeah, I could get all of these and get all these. I'm like, but I just don't have the money to do it. I wonder if they'll be Whoa. worth something one day. Probably not. <laughs> no one, no one cares about domain names. No one's even on the internet. Well, and also, Email.com. Who's going to want that? Who would want that? Email.com. Wow. And now, you know, you, you look at, you look at domain names, what they they sell for. And it's, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. It's insane. Sure. Sexygirl.com. Even the stupid TLDs that are, um, that are like, like what you would have thought of. I just typed this in just now. Halloween. Cause we were talking about Halloween. I went over to Namecheap, not a sponsor. Shame on them. And I just typed in Halloween to see what comes up in the list of domain names with prices. So Halloween.app is $550,000. Yeah. Um, Halloween.art, 6500 bucks. Um, Halloween.site is 5000 bucks. Like... That seems high to me, but right. what you know what even what even are these? Um, I don't even know what they all are. Who's dot who's site? And any time that I use, like even if it's a dot co or something like that, if it's something that feels kind of mainstream, uh, people are still like, "Do you mean com?" I'm like, "No, I I mean dot co." They're like, "That's not that won't work." I'm like, "It will work. <laughs> it really will." <laughs> But we'd we'd be millionaires if we had gotten those half a million dollars for Halloween dot app. Well, but nobody's nobody's buying it. I mean, no one's going to buy it. No, but yeah. like if we if you'd gotten computers dot com or rock and roll dot com, right? right. <laughs> well, mean, you know, I could have bought Bitcoin at fifty cents. Oh my my my! I have a Bitcoin investment. I hadn't checked in on it, and it it has um, quadrupled in value. Wow. Uh, so I went from $100 to $400. It's pretty good. <laughs> I know. I mean, it was a very speculative investment. I'm fairly uh-huh. conservative. Uh-huh. Coinbase, yeah. you know. Was, but yeah, it, I and I was thinking I, I should have invested $10,000 and then I would yeah. have a lot more money. But um, no, I didn't. Yeah. Some, some, somebody did and there they are. Yeah, I actually, um, the receptionist, I thought I told you this. I'm sure I didn't know. Um, the receptionist at, at my therapist's office, um, one day she was gone and I didn't see her again for a while. And they had some other girl in there. And then after a few weeks, the old one was back. I said, oh, you're back. She's like, oh, well, just for today, I'm just helping out. I said, well, where, where did you go? What happened? And she's like, oh, um, yeah, I don't work here anymore. I'm like, well, yeah, I noticed. It was nice to see you when I would come in. I'm like, what, what are you doing now? And she's like, well, I'm not working anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I had a Bitcoin investment and uh, I don't need to work anymore. I mean, like you're taking a break? And she's like, no, 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 no I never need to work again. And I was like, oh, shit. Wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice decision there. Um, <laughs> and it just oh, makes well. you feel so dumb when people do so. It's not like when like Netscape first went IPO and 
a few people understood what that was and a lot of people didn't. It's like everyone hears about Bitcoin and you're just sort of standing there watching other people do stuff. It's because we don't want to lose the money. That's why, because we're too scared that we'll be the way like, well, that worked for you. But if I invested a hundred thousand dollars, I would have just lost a hundred thousand dollars. Like that's, it's that easy. I would, I wouldn't have made $5 million. I would have lost a hundred thousand if I had done it. That's sort of the feeling. And that's what I think holds people back from those kinds of investments. Yeah. I looked at, I looked at it and, and had what could have put $3,000 into it yeah. at the time. And yeah, I was you'd like, have why 10K would I wanna, now at least why would I want to throw $3,000 away? Right. That seems dumb. Yeah. So anyway, let's not talk about that. Yeah, I don't that. Want to talk about that. It's too depressing. It's very depressing, yeah. Uh, but, you know, not not like desperately depressing. No. I mean, you know, it's pretty depressing. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's mostly depressing about it is how the people that did do it, I just don't like. I know I don't like <laughs> You don't um, like the kind of person that would do that? Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, you know, if I had done it, I probably wouldn't like me. And that seems maybe the that's the best um, the best description or the, the best explanation of why I didn't do it. Yeah. You wouldn't uh, have because, liked yourself if you had yeah. done it. And then, you know, there may be But what if you never people, had to work again? Could you know, probably live nice. with, with that? Wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. I could, yeah. I could, I could live with that. Yeah, I, there, there are things I would spend my time doing. Although, I mean, life is long, and there really aren't that many things to do. Like, what is there really to do? Not that much. No. Not that many things. We're not meant to do that many things. You know that we, we were meant to walk around. And look for things to eat, mm-hmm. and then make and eat those things, and uh, have sex, mm-hmm. and try to fend off anybody that came around looking to steal our food or have sex with our partners. Right, and I think also fight off animal predators. Yes. And survive the winter. And those are the things. Right? Don't yep. drown. Don't, don't fall drown. from a great height. Right. Don't get burned. Don't get burned. Don't freeze to death. Um, what else? No, keep I your, think that's it. Yeah. Keep your shelter from blowing down in a storm. Right. Um, manage to, you know, sew some hides together in order to keep you either warm or safe from cat scratches. Mm-hmm. What else? What? Oh, and you know, and then express yourself by by carving pictures of animals into rocks, right? Little sculptures you could whittle. Yeah, little sculptures, little little uh, little rock penises mm-hmm. or small fertility men with big fertility penises. goddesses, right? Because oh, that, but then, that goes back to the having kids thing. That's the that's the sex thing, right? And then I guess depending on who you are or what the available resources are. You could, and I think this is where the problem starts. You could be the ones that go raid other villages and steal their food and take their sex away. And eat the people. And those are the ones that started all the problems mm-hmm. because then you got to spend more re- resources protecting against those guys. Mm-hmm. And those, those people who are doing that are, 
you know, they're living off of their ill-gotten gains. And so that's the beginning of resentment. You look at them and you're like, why did you do that to us? Like, what's your freaking problem? We're going to retaliate. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But up until that point, if you just leave other people alone for the most part, if you don't, if you don't take the easy route, I mean, that's the thing about, that's what Bitcoin is, right? It's basically just going and, um, and trying to figure out a way where you don't have to go hunt. You don't have to go get your own food and attract your own mates. You're just going to go, you're just going to go take them from somewhere. Right. Um, and, and you feel like, you feel like the people that worked real hard are dumb and you're smart for, for being a stealer or a weedler. But the problem is that, you know, for, for what, 300,000 years, that's all we did. And now all of a sudden we got all these things to think about. If you had all the money in the world, you'd just basically, you've, you've taken care of all those things. And what else is there to do? Go to concerts? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what going to, how, how fast going to concerts gets old. Hmm. Um, no, what you end up doing is fucking with people because you've got all the time in the world, all the money in the world, nothing else to do. Why not fuck with people? Mm-hmm. You know, why not try and box people out of their investments, steal their business, um, you know, screw with property and screw with, at a, at a certain level, screw with nations or, you know, the, the, the opposite version of that, which is fuck with people in a nice way and go into the village and build a new well. But that somebody's going to write a long, long set of books one day about all the nice people from San Francisco that went and built wells in, uh, in villages. And that well started a huge problem in that village because the well-meaning person from San Francisco split without taking measure of the fact that there was a balance of power in that village that had lasted for centuries. And now the well has thrown that off. And the person whose house is closest to the well starts to get a big head or charge a charge an emission fee or whatever. You know, there's always something you can't throw a, a, a tiny pebble into any pond without, without starting a ripple and we'll never know. But I don't think there's, I don't think there's probably ever been a Western intervention a, an altruistic intervention anywhere that didn't have a ripple on effect that caused problems. Like you come into a village and you give them all laptop computers, but what about the person that wasn't there that day? Or what mm. about the person that didn't qualify, that just barely didn't qualify? There was a woman on my mom's street who um, had lived in her house for 50 years and her next door neighbor had also lived there for 50 years and they didn't like each other. Oh, because for 50 years they didn't like each other? No, and it's because the one woman worked as a nurse uh-huh. and had and had been a single mother and had raised her kids and uh and you know just barely eked out a living mm-hmm. but you know worked her ass off to get up above the line and the other woman in the first woman's estimation had been 
like a, a welfare mother who had never worked and who sat around watching TV, eating chips and living off of the living off of payments and food stamps and everything else. And she had raised her kids, but had never worked and had, you know, been, um, a drain. Right. And so the two of them, you know, had this long, long, long history with each other. Well, at some point in the, in the two thousands, a, um, a nonprofit group came and because the, the second woman lived below the poverty line, this team, and I was, I was there and watched the whole thing. This team of seven, like tall blonde boys. And I should say both of these women were African-American, this crew of blonde boys all in their twenties who looked like they belonged to like, or they worked for collegemovers.com. Right, right. They all show up. And in the course of a week, they put new siding on her home and a new roof and they, and they insulated the home and they transformed this house, which had, which had been, you know, kind of falling apart and, you know, really dressed it up. And you could see that this crew was working, you know, so they were proud of themselves. They were doing this great work. And the next door neighbor, the woman who had worked as a nurse, was outraged because her house also needed a new roof. Her house also needed new siding, but not, a, not that much because she'd worked hard to keep up her property. Sure. And, you know, she had worked hard to not qualify for this kind of assistance. And all of a sudden at the age of 80, she was confronted with the fact that all that work that she'd done to stay above now was, she was, she, she's almost being punished for it. Really? Well, she didn't, she was, she didn't um, make it onto the list of people that, deserved assistance and this crew this happy crew um at the end of the time making this house look great and fixing it up and making it warm and comfortable inside uh trundled off to their next altruistic mission i may have told this story a long long time ago i don't remember i don't it's remember fit. hearing it but it's possible um that one guy who does your your wiki uh, would know yeah, per perhaps Yoko. He wouldn't would, even need to consult the wiki. He would or, just or Captain Marm. Yeah. Um, but but in the end, they left behind a real bitterness. And I'm sure that the woman who had the work done on her house, you know, when they when the two women met taking their garbage out to the curb, you know, smirked at her. Or uh, maybe not, you know, maybe not, but but it made me think it was just a, you know, it was a, a very local example yeah. of the fact that no good deed goes unpunished. Right. And the idea that the idea that we have that there's a very clear line between the needy and the non needy neglects this huge middle ground where we're you know, with the, the assistance that we give the needy, 
the people that have worked their butts off to to stay above that line, you know, like you say, they could almost feel punished. And I imagine that right. that's globally true, and especially in a situation where there are no resources um, to swoop in and give even a, what, what seems to the Gates Foundation as like a tiny improvement uh, or even a, or especially a major improvement like there's not a village in the world that doesn't have a thousand pre-existing conditions a thousand rivalries and and like fragile alliances so so here you got all this money all you really need to do you know what what you really should do is just focus on sex you should just have sex that would keep if you're you super if you're super rich yeah but then you know how entertaining is that past a certain point when you get to a point where you're like well had it i've had it i've had sex i've even had had it a bunch i can still have it periodically but it's not like you can't fill your day so i guess i'm glad i you know i'm having a little bit of financial it's not it's not anxiety because i don't really feel anxiety but a lot of a lot. Well, that's not true. I do feel anxiety. Say everyone has to feel some anxiety, right? Yeah. Yeah. I realized I was talking to my uh, psychiatrist the other day, and he said something, and I suddenly realized, oh, you mean when I get a pit in my stomach, when I when I get butterflies, that's anxiety, right? And he was like, yes. Yeah, I was going to say oh. maybe you've had the anxiety. You just don't know that you're having it because you've never learned to identify it as anxiety. Is yeah, that possible? Right. Oh, absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. When, I, when A couple of years ago when I was having anxiety attacks, it was um, – yeah, you couldn't ignore it, right? Because I was having these – I was having panic attacks and it was terrible, so terrible. And um, I still fear them, you know, if, yeah. if I – but I'm but I'm a long way from them now, so you know it's only. I mean, that was one of my main fears of COVID, was that I would get sick. Not that my life would be threatened, but that it would inspire panic in me, like the lack of being unable to breathe is one of the things that sparks it off. Sure. But but that low that 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 low level anxiety, I always just think of as butterflies. Uh, but I get butterflies, and to to our overseas listeners who may not use that idiom, that just means like a, a you know a stirring in your in your midsection where you're like ah, I don't want to do this you know call it butterflies because it feels like you have butterflies in your stomach. It's I don't know if it's an Americanism. Maybe they use that I don't in know New either. Zealand. But uh, he went so far as to as to prescribe me a a blood pressure medication that he said also was an anxiety reducer oh. because it was a beta blocker right. and it blocked your betas. And you know, I have hypertension that I try to control with things and uh so he was like you know maybe i'll give you this and i'm like well i don't it's not like i walk around with butterflies all the time 
he's like, yeah, but you know, if butterflies are getting in the way of you doing stuff, and I'm like, I can't really say they get in the way. But, but yeah, here I am, 52 years old. You know, Dan, how am I gonna, how am I gonna make it? How am I gonna get there? At, at the, what I'm saying right now sounds like I'm, um, I'm contradicting what I said earlier, which is that I don't worry about. I was going to say, it sounds like you are worried about the future in a way. I don't know if it's worry exactly, but I'm certainly conscious, Dan, that there is a future. 